What am I on? There we go. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy birthday to me. Woo! So, yes, it is my birthday. Uh, Facebook, I blame this on Facebook, which I deactivated this morning after people saw it was my birthday. Because I know somebody from this church sent me a birthday message at 5.30 this morning. Uh, they were up early and on Facebook, I can tell you that. Anyways, here, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I felt, I remembered this story and I was like, I need to tell you because it has to do with my birthday in West Heights. So my first year here, my birthday fell, September 17th, fell on a Tuesday. It was a busy day, uh, board meeting that night. Like, and so I said, I said to Michelle, I'm like, today is not my birthday. Let's make it tomorrow because, you know, I'm an adult and I can choose to celebrate my birthday whenever I want to. All right. And so that's what we did. I walked in in the office. We didn't, I, I didn't tell anybody it was my birthday because I had stuff to do. And we had a staff member come in and their birthday was March 17th, which is six months, right? And they came in and they were making a big deal about how it was their half birthday that day. <laughs> and I thought, this is funny. And I just let them go with it. Because one, I didn't really want, they seemed really excited. I didn't really want to blow their, you know, when to, you know, poke a hole in their exciting day. I just let them go with it all day. And I didn't tell them it was my birthday, which was the best birthday present to me. Because the next day she walked in and she was like, yesterday was your birthday and you let me go on and on? I was like, yep. I had to say I was sorry because they thought that was mean. Anyways, I still think it's funny, but... Anyways, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, why don't we? Why, but, but why don't we just dive in, anyways? Okay. You know, I would like to think that uh, now I'm 42. That over my I don't know 20 some odd years of driving, that I'm a pretty safe driver. I'm a pretty good driver. In fact, I can only I can count two driving infractions. One when I was 20 something years old and I got caught going way too fast on a side road. And since then, I learned my lesson. Up until last year. When I got caught at that traffic camera at West Heights down here, those of us who live in this neighborhood either love that camera or hate that camera. Some of you, I, we won't take a poll because that'll be the thing that divides us this morning. But I got caught on that traffic camera, uh, and rightfully so. But th that, that said, you know, I have had opportunities. While I ha don't I haven't ended up on my record, I've had opportunities to be reminded about how important it is to remember the basics. Like how not too long ago I was driving on the highway and I was about ready to change, merge into the off-ramp and I checked all my mirrors, I thought it was good to go and I moved and all of a sudden I saw a blur right beside me. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to check my blind spots, right? I checked my mirrors, but I hadn't done this like, I'm, like you're supposed to. Now, fortunately, nothing happened because the first individual in question was smart enough to realize that I wasn't paying attention and they, they, everything worked out okay. But that experience serves as a valuable reminder to me that, well, you know what, I'm driving, I can see a lot of things. There are still some things that I can't see, at least not with some, without some effort. You know, the reality about life is that we all have blind spots. You know, there are many things that we know and we understand really well. There's the things that we can see, the things that we have insight into, the things that maybe we've experienced. But at the same time, to be wise is to recognize that there are some things that we can't see, things that we don't know, or things that we haven't experienced yet, but maybe somebody else has. These are our blind spots. But the thing about blind spots is that if we forget that we have them, and we tend to forget that we have them, um, division, judgment, and conflict, they, they happen really easily when we forget that we have blind spots. See, when I assume that my perception or my insights or my experiences are all that there is, or I assume that they are better than your insights, experiences, uh, are, are, my, my experience is better than yours, 
then what I've done is I've made it really hard for you and I to find common ground. Either you have to agree with me or we have a problem, right? Now, unfortunately, this is an approach that many of us have in our relationships, and the result can be that the relationships with our kids or our spouse or our coworkers or our classmates or our neighbors, maybe even the people we interact with online or maybe the thoughts that we have about people that we haven't actually met personally but we see them out and about in our world or on the news, the reality is that these relationships can be characterized very easily by judgment, conflict, and division. And when this is the way that things are, good things don't happen. And so the question is, what can we do about this? How can we address this? And so over the course of this fall, our, we are working on our way through a teaching series called Peaceful Practices, and we're going to be looking at some ways that we can grow as peacemakers, especially in those experiences of relational uh, division and conflict. And so our teaching time uh, th over the next couple weeks is uh, following uh, some really excellent material put out by the Mennonite Central Committee called Peaceful Practices. And I'll say this like I said last week, and we'll say this again and again. This material is so good that we can't cover it all on a Sunday morning. And so what we're hoping that you will do is that you will grab the material that's available to you in our weekly emails, or if you'd like a printed copy, we can give you a printed copy of that too. Um, and that you would work through that on your own or maybe with somebody else in your household. And just to really chew on what the things that we're talking about are because some of the things that we're talking about might take a little bit of effort, might take some reflection, and the time that we have together just briefly like this might not be enough. But we also have another thing going on here that might be of interest to you. See, we have a house church group who's focused on working through this material each week. They're meeting on Monday nights, and they started last week, but the good news is, in case you missed that, you are welcome to join them starting this week if that works for you. And so if you're interested in this, you can reach out to our group leader, Beth. Um, I don't know if Beth is here this morning. Oh, she's over there. She's right over there. Uh, Beth would love to chat with you, or if you can't make it to see her or you're at home right now, uh, you, can, you can get a hold of Beth through the form that's on our, on, our, on our newsletter that went out this week. There's a form there. You can fill that out. It'll go right to Beth, and she'll be in touch. But she'll let you know the details. But an excellent way to work through this material is to wrestle with it with other people. And so there's some opportunities for us to do that uh, either together or maybe even do it on our own or with somebody in our household. Well, this morning we are going to look at the practice of curiosity and how curiosity has the potential to help us navigate division and conflict. And so the big idea that we're exploring this morning is that having curiosity can help us explore the perspectives and the experiences of others. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the first 13 uh, verses of this. This is the, the story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, and then we're going to be making some observations about how this can help us, you know, learn about what does it mean to be curious. And there's some, hopefully some stuff that we can use coming from this this morning. Let's read starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled, to them, enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Figura, and Pamphylia, I can never say that one, uh, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and, they per and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. It's a great place to end, isn't it? <laughs> they've had too much wine. Done. Okay. We'll get to that one because it's a, it, we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, Jesus' disciples were gathered in Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure out what they were going to do next. See, one of the things that Jesus had told them was they were to wait for the Holy Spirit who would come after him. So they were there waiting, and they were waiting because Jesus told them to wait. Jesus in John 14 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. And so there they were, waiting for this advocate. Now, we don't really know what the disciples were thinking as they were waiting. We don't know what they were expecting the advocate to be or to do. Um, but they were there, waiting. Now, this word advocate is one way of translating a Greek word that describes someone being called to somebody else's side. And so, in other translations of Scripture, we might read, instead of it saying advocate, you might have the word helper that is sometimes used, or comforter that is sometimes used. But you have this idea of somebody coming to aid another individual. And so, these are some of the descriptions that these disciples might have had in mind, that they're waiting for a helper, they're waiting for an advocate, they're waiting for a comforter, they're waiting for somebody to come alongside and to be with them. Now think about that term comforter for a moment, because that's sometimes one that gets used. I mean, that's a nice-sounding word, isn't it? It feels warm. It feels comfortable. And for some of us, we, what might come to mind is, is one of those stitched blankets that MCC puts together, where it's a quilt or a blanket that's put together as an act of love given to somebody who's going through a hard time. That might be what comes to mind. But think for a moment about the experience that these disciples just had this violent wind bursting in, these things that look like flames like floating around the room. Does that sound comfortable? That sounds really uncomfortable. That doesn't sound like a nice warm blanket being wrapped around you. That sounds terrifying. And that was their experience. And yet this is how the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the helper, God himself shows up. You know, the Holy Spirit showed up and made it so that these disciples suddenly began to speak in different languages, and it was such an incredible thing to have happened that it brought in the crowds. And the author, it's Luke, takes the time to note the diversity of languages and cultures that were present in this moment. See, the Holy Spirit is not being revealed here to a small group of people who looked and sounded alike. The Holy Spirit came to create community in the midst of diversity and differences. And that's what he did here. And this right here ought to remind us that diversity is a part of God's plan for his people. Diversity is a part of God's plan. Now imagine this scene for a, for, for a moment. We, can, uh, we could say that it was hectic. It's a, there's a lot going on here with all kinds of people suddenly speaking different languages. There's, there's a lot of differences that are happening in one space. But perhaps this isn't unlike the world that we find ourselves in today, where there happen to be a lot of differences that occupy the same space. 
I mean, there's people who have different political perspectives. There's people who have different theological convictions. There's different cultural practices. There's different belief systems. And so, and so many more things that are differences. And all these people seem to be running into each other. You know, we know the reality of different groups of people who have different thought patterns interacting with each other. And more often than not, these groups are talking past each other. They're not talking with each other. You know, one of my frustrations in the political arena is that, and we'll use the example of question period, for example, is that it doesn't seem like these, uh, these uh, spaces are actually working as places for sharing and hearing and refining ideas for the good of a society. But so often it feels like these parties and these individuals are locked into, you know, staying true to their base, their ideological way of thinking, and their whole goal is to make somebody else look bad in the process. And while this can be true in politics, I think that this can trickle into our more ordinary relationships as well, too. But in contrast, at Pentecost, we see that despite the different languages that these folks actually understood each other. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit creates the possibility for understanding. But it doesn't happen, and we should be paying attention to this, it doesn't happen through wiping away differences and making everybody the same. Now, as Luke tells us about the story of Pentecost, he talks about how those witnessing this, these events were both amazed and astonished. I mean, it must have looked absolutely crazy from the outside. Probably looked crazy from the inside, okay? Like, it's just, whoa, like, what is this? And for sure, what was, you know, looked odd was for sure the fact that there was these different languages that were suddenly being spoken. But people speaking in different languages, if we think about it, really isn't that odd. I mean, we right now could get up and we could go to the mall and we could hear a whole variety of languages being spoken, most of which we don't, wouldn't understand. And that actually is fairly normal in a city like this, isn't it? And in a city like Jerusalem, it wouldn't have been abnormal either. You had a big place, a metropolitan area, people coming in for a festival. There would have been a variety of languages being spoken. But what was remarkable in this moment is that with all the languages uh, being spoken and all the cultural cultures being present was that people could actually understand each other. They recognized the languages being spoken. They, looked, they, they heard these things and they said, how come I can understand you is basically what they're asking. And in that moment, these folks who might have not thought that they would have belonged felt like they belonged, like they understood something, that despite their differences, there was something here that was inviting them in. And that, in and of itself, is what is remarkable. And this is the vision for Jesus' followers that emerges at Pentecost, that relationships are possible when God is at the center of our differences. Again, what God is doing here is not about uniformity. It's not about everybody speaking the same language. Rather, what is happening here is the formation of a new community that includes and it values differences. But this new community is only possible when God is at the center and he's not being assigned to one side or the other. Now, in general... We don't do this very well, though. You know, we tend to self-organize so that we gather uh, with people who look like and think like us. And if there's a difference, what we try to do is we tend to highlight what we have in common rather than, than authentically recognizing and valuing the things that make us unique. 
Or when we find that there's a point of tension, we try to push that off to the side a little bit so we can create some sort of harmony. And we tend to do these things without thinking. We don't tend to think much about this and do this with intentionality. We just do this. But in the process, you know what, we, what we're doing is we are affirming the assumption that differences are bad. But that assumption, living out that assumption, doesn't help us navigate a culture of division and, con- and conflict. In, fe- in fact, all it does is it kind of pushes things off to the side until they bubble over or explode later. And so we need to be thinking, how do we actually engage these things? Now, have you ever had a situation where you become aware of something that somebody else is doing or something that they believe that you just wouldn't think about, think of before? It wouldn't even register as an option to you or it would come across as being ridiculous. You ever had those situations? You know, maybe it's at school when you notice that somebody's choice of clothing is just different, perhaps a little provocative or just odd. And the thought that goes through your mind might be, why on earth would you wear that? Like, what are you trying to prove here? Or perhaps as a family member who, whose approach to a certain circumstance in life doesn't, doesn't make any sense to us. And so the, the, the thought going through our minds are, don't they know that that's a bad idea? Like, don't they know that I could tell them the better way to do this? No, right? Or, or maybe it's a neighbor who's brought, who's brought into conversation a political perspective that we find offensive. And so the narrative that goes through our minds is be like, man, they're just dumb. I used to think they were cool, but now mm, they're an idiot. You know, in situations like these, we can have a few different responses, can't we? One is that we can reject the idea or the decisions that, that others have made that don't mesh with ours. And maybe we live this out by just dismissing their ideas as being silly or and ignorant. Or maybe our rejection takes the form of conflict as we find ourselves needing to assert ourselves uh, in this relationship because they need to know how wrong they are or maybe more accurately how right we are in that circumstance. They need to know that. So, you know. Or another possible response is maybe a little bit more passive. Maybe we just shrug and say, hmm, well, that's not our problem. They can do whatever they want. But this response kind of just keeps people at arm's reach, doesn't it? You might not be actively rejecting somebody, but at the same time, we aren't trying to move towards them either. And so there still is a sense of division that exists. But there's another response that I think connects with what we talked about last week when we talked about the story of Jacob and Esau. And that is to find ways to move towards those who are different from us. And this is where this idea of curiosity, I think, really kicks in. You know, the story of Pentecost has plenty of mystery in it. You know, God did something here that nobody would have expected, and it was way outside of their lived experience, uh, the lived experience of everybody who was watching and paying attention. And so the question is, how would they respond? How were they going to respond to this? And you know what? Some folks responded by dismissing it. And what they did is they attempted to make sense of what they were witnessing by explaining it away in a way that made sense to their experience. Of course, we know what's going on here. There's nothing spectacular. They got drunk. They had too much wine. And the story tells us that they went on to ridicule the disciples for what, you know, they didn't understand it. So they tried to make sense of it. And then when they, with their explanation, they moved on to making fun of it. And you know what? We can respond like this to things we don't understand, right? We try to fit it into a nice, neat box that makes sense to us. And if that doesn't work, we ridicule things, that, or even if it does work, we, we can tend to find ourselves ridiculing things that we don't understand. That's silly. That's stupid. Haha, why would you do that? And kind of push it off to the side. But then there were others who were amazed and perplexed. 
You know, what, they, what was going on in front of them didn't make any sense to them based on what they knew and what they had experienced. But the text is careful to draw a distinction in their reaction. They ask the question, what does it mean? See, they knew that what they were seeing was something that they didn't have a framework to understand. But instead of trying to explain it away, they leaned in and they asked that question, what does this mean? And while the text doesn't make this part immediately clear, I think that there must be a connection between those folks who leaned, leaned in and had a, a demonstrated a curiosity. There's a connection here with those folks and the, and the 2,000 uh, people who were baptized after hearing Peter talk about Jesus. That there must be a connection here between the people who said, what does this mean? And then Peter standing up and said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And 2,000 people saying, wait, that, that makes sense now. I want that. And so this leads us to our, our next point here, is that is that curiosity is the starting point to understanding things that were previously unknown to us, with the end result being the possibility of us discovering something good that would have seemed absolutely impossible before, perhaps including a better relationship with people that we thought there's no chance that we can be in a good relationship with. Now, unfortunately, curiosity is a lost art. You know, as infants, as toddlers and children, we had a lot of it, right? And for those of us who can, you know, can't remember being a toddler, but, you know, have toddlers in our lives or children in our lives, we have had that experience of them saying why 14 times before we had breakfast, haven't we? And as adults being like, I don't even know anymore, right? But there's something natural about the curiosity and the questioning that children have that is healthy, that is good, is a part of them trying to understand and make sense of the world that they live in. Now, as adults, we really struggle to maintain that same level of curiosity. In fact, when we meet people who, might, who are demonstrating a, like a heightened level of curiosity, we might find them a bit odd. We might find them threatening even because they seem to question things that we just assume to be true. And that reality, that, those questions can feel uncomfortable to us. But let me suggest that we need to revive our sense of curiosity as a practice that can help us navigate relationships with folks whose perspectives, ideas, and experiences are different from our own. See, rather than jumping to conclusions and judgment, having some toddler-like curiosity will put us on a better path when we come face-to-face -face with somebody or something that we don't understand or we disagree with. You know, if we think that we have all the answers already, we're going to miss out on something amazing. But by having some, some healthy curiosity, we might discover something good that was there hiding that God wants us to explore and enjoy. And so here's a few thoughts about curiosity just to get us thinking this morning. The first is that curiosity acknowledges that we have blind spots. You know, the reality is that our individual knowledge and our, our experience, it, it's limited. And we need other people to help us have a greater understanding of our world and even a greater understanding of ourselves. Here's the thing. Uh, you and I, if we went and we talked to our family members and asked them to tell us things about ourselves, we would realize that they know things about us that we don't know. Because they have a different perspective on us. They see things differently. Their, their, their experience is different. They know things about us that, is, that remain hidden to us and would be beneficial to us to learn. And so to be curious is to be humble. It's to recognize that we don't know it all and that we would benefit from the experience and the insights of other people, especially people who are coming at a conversation or an issue with a different perspective. And the end result will actually be that what we know grows and our blind spots actually shrink. 
Second, curiosity transforms how we see people, how we see others. You know, in our current climate, uh, too often we see people whose experiences are different from ours, who have different convictions about things. Too often we see these folks at best with a, with a sense of suspicion. But when this is our default, it should be absolutely no surprise that conflict is, is a normal part of our experience. Conflict and division is a part of our experience. But when we decide that we're going to get curious, that transforms how we go about and how we relate to others. It's true, we might not become best friends with somebody who thinks completely different than us on the political spectrum, but no longer will our exchange be about winning an argument or about defeating a foe, but rather we will be able to see the other person as, as worthy of being understood. We start to see them as human, as a person, just like us. Third, curiosity prioritizes understanding over assertions. Now, what I mean here is I don't, I don't mean that we should never say what we think. We shouldn't ever give our thoughts on something. But to be fair, I, I, I know that um, I usually don't have a problem finding opportunities to get my thoughts about something into a conversation. And my guess is most of you are like me, is that most of us can find ways of getting our thoughts into a conversation if we really wanted to. What is more work is choosing to ask questions that help us understand the perspective or the experience of somebody else. And so to be curious is to, is to say things like, hey, can you tell me more about that? Or can you help me understand why that is so important to you? Or how about this? From your perspective, what do you think I'm missing or not understanding about this circumstance or about this, uh, this thing that's going on around us? What do you think I'm missing? Help me understand. You know, the hope is in asking questions like these that we are communicating a genuine interest in understanding another person that paves a way for healthy conversations on hard topics. And uh, to get back to Heather in her announcements mentioned that we were doing the Kairos blanket exercise on October 1st. That right there is an opportunity for us as a community to uh, be curious and to grow in our understanding of the experience of our indigenous brothers and sisters here in Canada. And so let me say again, this is an opportunity for us to practice this curiosity and to do so together. I, I hope that you'll sign up for it today. Fourth. Curiosity requires that we slow down our inner dialogue, and at this point, I'm going to get a full credit to Dan Jennings for our conversation after church yesterday on this one. You know, so often when we're talking with others, the reality is we're not actually listening. Sure, we might hear the words that are coming out of somebody's mouth, but what we tend to be doing with our minds is thinking about all the things that we need to say in response to it. Be like, oh, I want to say this. Like, you know, they're talking to us, and what's going on is, in my brain, at least, is, oh, I want to get this in here. That would be great. Or this story kind of sort of connects to this thing that they said a while back. Or I really should get my thoughts in here and make sure that they know that I'm right and they're wrong or prove how smart I am in this conversation. You get it. Right? We have these moments where we're, where we're paying attention. That inner dialogue is just going and going and going, and we aren't actually paying attention. And when we aren't paying attention, we're not really listening, we're stifling the curiosity that might actually help us understand where somebody else is coming from. You know, to be curious means that we allow for pauses in our conversations and we're okay with pauses in our conversations because we are taking the time to truly listen, process, and then formulate a response. Fifth, curiosity means that we are willing to have our lives shaken up. You know, the thing about curiosity is it's going to cause a little bit of chaos in our worlds. 
You know, as we find ourselves being exposed to other ways of being, doing, thinking, and even believing, our nice, neat categories, our nice, neat, tidy categories of life are going to get messed up. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing, because as we've already discussed, we realize that there are some good things out there that are in our blind spots. We don't know anything about. And so we would actually benefit from the insights and the experience of other people to help us reform our categories that we carry about with us in life. See, to be curious means that we are open to the possibility that what somebody else is bringing into a conversation might just be the thing that we've been missing. And that openness creates space for a dialogue and conversations that could otherwise result in division and and conflict. The last thing I'll say is that curiosity is disarming. You know, when we come to a relationship or a conversation with genuine curiosity, it changes the nature, it can change the nature of a relationship for the better. You know, I don't know about you, but, I, but there are certain co- topics of conversation out there that when they come up, my default is to assume that our conversation is going to be adversarial. And that the only way to engage this conversation is through some sort of debate. But when somebody shows up to a conversation with curiosity, the tone of the conversation changes, doesn't it? See, curiosity communicates that we're not here for a fight, but we're here to understand and we're here to learn. And that changes things. That changes how we go about and engage these relationships. Folks, I don't know about you, but I I am tired of conversations and relationships where it feels like the parties involved are talking past each other. I'm tired of feeling that there's certain conversations that are automatically going to default to broken relationships or that it's just going to give us a reason to fight and that we're all sitting there waiting for the fight to break out. I don't like that. It's exhausting. And it means that the relationship, and these aren't the relationships that I want to be in, and I don't think they're the relationships that you want to be in either. We don't want to be in relationships that feel exhausting, do we? We need a better way. I think that this practice of curiosity can be a tool that helps transform our relationships by helping us engage in healthy ways the differences that we each bring to any conversation, any relationship that we have, there are differences. This practice of of curiosity can help us navigate this. And so I encourage us this week to be finding ways to practice curiosity. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, in your conversation with your neighbor or with your spouse or like you know, when you just have, it's not even a major blowout argument, but you realize that you're, you're looking at the same experience differently and you just ask the question, tell me how you're seeing this. I'd love to hear it. Maybe it's just pausing and just listening and, and holding back from, you know, giving your thoughts automatically. But we have plenty of opportunities to do this and to practice this. And so what I encourage us to give this a try this week and to just really get curious in our relationships with one another. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to be with one another. Thank you, God, for the good things that you put in our lives to enjoy. Lord, we, we recognize this morning that our, we've got lots of relationships, and some of them are fairly complicated. Some of them are with people that we know. Others are with people that we don't know. But Lord, to be honest, we've just assumed that there are enemies because we are coming at whatever from a different perspective. God, this morning we are asking you to help give us a different way of seeing these relationships, seeing these issues, Lord. Lord, give us a curiosity to understand the things that we don't, that we don't understand. 
Give us the ability to ask questions. Give us the ability to, to, to take a break from needing to assert ourselves. God, for some of us, an opportunity for this is going to happen in the foyer. It might be when we get, go home today and we, we talk with our, our families about what's going to happen in the week ahead. Lord, we just have opportunities all around us. And so, Lord, would you give us the, just the ability to take a break and to remind, and Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would you just remind us to be curious. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done and are doing in our lives. Amen.